J.I. Packer, in his seminal work on Christian theology, Knowing God, he writes this. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better, cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. Friends, I believe that Packer is right about this and a number of other things as well. If you want to judge how well you understand the Christian faith and your own participation in it, then you must not measure it that by the vastness of your intellectual apprehension of theology or your comprehensive grasp of all the details of the scriptures or your sacrificial acts of piety and service to others. No, rather you must ask yourself this very, very simple question. Do I know that God is my Father? I mean, do I really know that? That God is my Father. That in Jesus Christ, he has made me his beloved child. Do I know that my heavenly Father loves me absolutely, completely, comprehensively? Indeed, that he loves me with the same love that he loves his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Do I know that? That is the measure of how well you understand your Christianity. This sermon that I preach every year, and I think this is the eighth time that I've preached it now, it's the least complicated sermon that I ever preach. The sermon is not fancy, it is not sophisticated, it is not going to dazzle you with its complexity. And that's a feature. It's not a bug. Because in the end, there's only one thing that is absolutely necessary for you to know. And that is, friend, that you, through your union with Jesus Christ, are indeed the adopted and beloved child of God. That is who you are. Before the foundations of the world, That is who you are. Into eternity, without end, that is who you are. And it's enough to know that. It is absolutely enough. Listen now again to God's word from Matthew chapter 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. 
John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized immediately, he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Thus far, the reading of God's word, it is absolutely true. And it is given to you because your Father in heaven loves you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of all of our hearts might be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. We ask this through our rock and our redeemer, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Two of my favorite questions in the Westminster Larger Catechism are printed for you in the back of your order of worship. They're questions 66 and 83. Question 66 reads this, or the answer rather to that question reads this way. It says, The union which the elect have with Christ is the work of God's grace, whereby they are spiritually, that is, by the Spirit, and mystically, that is, in a way that is mysterious, yet really and inseparably, that is, they cannot be separated, joined to Christ as their head and husband. And question 83 reads this way. It says, the members of the invisible church, so those same people that were being spoken of in question 66, have communicated to them, not just spoken to them, but communicated. They have communion with these things. In this life, not only in heaven, but in this life, the first fruits of glory with Christ, as they are members of him, they belong to him, they are part of him as their head. And in him, that is in Christ, and in no other way, but in Christ, they have been given an interest that is a down payment, a portion, in that glory which he is fully possessed of now in heaven, at God's right hand. And as an earnest thereof, enjoy the sense of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Spirit, and hope of glory. You see, what these two questions taken together are basically saying is this. If you belong to Jesus, if you have been baptized in his name and have put your faith in him, then you have been united to Jesus by the power of the Spirit. Something is different about you. And that means, simply put, that whatever is true for Jesus is now also true for you. You have a share, a real share. And that glory that Jesus has, even at this present moment, in heaven at his Father's right hand. Jesus has peace in his conscience because he has been declared fully righteous in his resurrection from the dead by his Father. And you enjoy that same peace of conscience that Jesus has. 
Jesus lives in the fullness of the joy of the Holy Spirit at his Father's right hand. And that same fullness of joy, that same Spirit is given to you. Jesus knows that he is the eternally beloved Son of God. And in Christ, in him, you are given also the power to know and believe that God loves you. Whatever is true for Jesus is true also for us. That's what it means to be united to Christ. All of our life is played out in this way, in union to him. In our sufferings, we do not suffer alone. We suffer in union with Jesus. In our triumphs, we do not triumph alone. We triumph in our union with Christ. When we work, when we eat, when we laugh, when we sleep, all of it is done in union and communion with our husband and our Lord, the one to whom we have been joined spiritually and mystically, yet really and inseparably. Jesus Christ, God's own Son, our incarnate, crucified, risen, and ascended Lord. And that means that in our text this morning from the Scriptures, when God the Father says to Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, at his baptism, you are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, He is saying those words to you as well. He says, friend, those words also to you. God the Father declares Jesus to be his beloved son in Matthew 3 because he wants you to know and hear and believe that you also are in Christ the beloved of God. That this also is true for you. You, you are the beloved If you are in Christ, these words are for you. You see, in our baptisms, when the name of Christ is placed upon us, we are bound up in the life of Jesus. Whatever is true for Jesus becomes true for us. Paul puts it this way in Romans 6. He says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? For if we have been united with him in a death like his we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Everything depends, friends, upon our union with Jesus Christ. Everything. And the reason we who follow Jesus are baptized is because he was baptized. And in our baptism, our life is bound up with him. You see, there's no verse in the scriptures that says Josh. Anderson, born in 1980 in Richmond, Virginia, is the beloved son of God. It doesn't say that. But here in this passage, it says that about Jesus. And when it says it about Jesus, it says it also about me. And it says it about you as well. So at least part of the reason that this text exists in this way, the reason that Matthew thought we needed to know that God said these words to Jesus is so that whenever we are tempted to doubt the reality of God's love in our own life, we can return to this passage. Remember, I was baptized. I also am the beloved of God. In John 17, Jesus prays this remarkable prayer. And one of the things he says is this. 
He says he wants the Father to give the glory that he has to his, his disciples so that the world may know, he says to the Father, that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. He wants them to be one. He wants them to have that kind of glory so that the world would know that the Father sent Jesus and that he has loved those who belong to Jesus even as he has loved Jesus. Friends, do you hear what Jesus is saying there? He's saying that God loves you in the same way that he loves Christ, that he loves Jesus. That's what he's saying. God loved his son before the foundation of the world. But do you know what? The mystery of the faith that we confess is that he loves each one of us in just the same way. What I'm trying to say is this very simply. Listen to me, friends. You are the beloved. You. Not just the church as a whole, not just the person sitting somewhere else in the sanctuary this morning who seems like they've got their act together, and not just anyone who you're tempted to think is more spiritual or good or more lovable than you are. No, I'm talking about you. You in all of your raggedness, in all of your anxiety, in all of your frailty and failure, you, you are the beloved. Your heavenly father, the one who knows everything you've ever done, every sin, every thought, every imperfection, every fear, every doubt, he looks at you and he says simply this, he says, you are my beloved. There's so many words that we might say are true about us, right? So many names we give ourselves. We say we're weak, we're anxious, we're dirty, we're fearful, we're sinners. And yet beneath all of those descriptors, beneath all of those labels, there is a, a true name, a real name. And that is that we are the beloved of God. The weight of this reality that we are the beloved of God. It's almost more than we can bear, right? The, the glory of that name, beloved, spoken to us by God himself. It's almost too much. It's overwhelming. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, to please God, to actually please God, to give him pleasure, to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness. To be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in, as an artist delights in his work or a father in his son. It seems impossible, Lewis says. A weight or burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain. That the eternal God who needs nothing, who is altogether sufficient, has chosen to love us, to be delighted by us, to take pleasure in us, he says, it's almost impossible to comprehend. But Lewis says, but so it is. Yes, indeed, friends, so it is. And the reality of God's love in this way means that you, you are the beloved. You, you are the beloved. And that means when God created the world, he did it for you. Do you know why? Because you are the beloved. When he hung the stars in the sky, think of it. 
He did it for you. That you might walk out your door and see them. Of course, yes, he did it for his own glory. Yes, of course he did it because of his love for all humanity. But he also did it for you. Don't miss that. As an individual, unique person, because you, friend, are his beloved. God's passionate love for the human race is not only wide enough to encompass the whole world, it is also particular enough to isolate each one of us from the billions and billions of the members of the church of God and bring us as unique individuals, as a particular man, a particular woman, before the whole force of his personality and being and love. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says, if anyone loves God, he is known by God. That's not how you might expect that to go, right? It's not if you love God, then you know God. No, Paul says, if you love God, then you are known by God. God knows you. You are known by God and not just in an intellectual way in that he knows that you exist or something. No, he knows you personally, intimately, individually. The creator of the universe holds you in his gaze. He knows you as a father knows his child. And that means that somehow in the mystery and power of God's eternal triune being, the comprehensiveness of his knowledge... Long before you existed in time and space, he knew you. And so when he hung the stars, friends, he did it because of his love for you. Because you are the beloved. And when he gathered the land together and called it earth, when he pushed the mountains toward the sky, when he crafted the deep seas and filled all of those places with trees and plants and birds and fish and animals, he did those things for you. Because somehow, inexplicably, mysteriously, wondrously, you are the beloved. Think for a moment of the most amazing experience you've ever had in all of God's created world, right? All that he's made. That moment, that hour, that day when you are at a certain place in the world that God has made and you felt that sense of peace and wonder and beauty and rest that could only come from being in that place. It might be a mountain or a lake or an ocean or a forest or a field. It might be a place that is famous. It might be a place that only you know about. In the summer of 2021, when we were on sabbatical as a family, I found a place like that. We were in Florida, and my wife and children were with me, the five people in the world that I love more than anyone else. And we were swimming in the Atlantic Ocean, and it was a perfect day. It was low tide, the sky was clear, it was blue, and we were all out on this sandbar that had come out, about 150 yards from shore, so we could go out far, you know? The waves were breaking there. They're just rolling in, just hitting again and again. They were hitting just right. And we body surfed for hours. Just rode them again and again, right? You just, just, everyone was good. You know, you just ride one, you just trudge back out through the water and do it all over again. We're laughing, we're yelling, 
for splashing. It was perfect. And I remember one moment while we were all waiting for the next one to come, looking out at the horizon, right, out across the Atlantic Ocean, waist deep in the water. And I, I turn my head and I look at my three oldest children standing with me in a line, in a row. And they were so beautiful, so strong, so alive, so full of confidence and joy. And I thought, this is it, right? You just try to take a mental picture in your mind and say, right now, I want to hold on to this. Because this moment is as good as it gets this side of the resurrection. And so now that little piece of the Florida coast just below New Smyrna Beach, it'll always be precious to me. And believe me, I can drive back there and find it. I know where it is. Because of what I saw there, because of what I felt, what I experienced, I carry it with me even now. And friends, what I want you to know is that whatever that place is for you, whatever that experience is for you, that beauty and peace that you've experienced somewhere out in God's created world, here is the thing. At least one of the reasons that God made that place in particular at the beginning of time is because he knew all things. And he knew you and he knew in his infinite wisdom and providence that you one day would go there and that you would love it. And that it would transform you. That it would be a place that you would carry with you forever. That is one of the reasons why he made that lake, that stretch of beach, that mountain, whatever it is, one of the reasons God made it is so that you would know it and love it. Because you are the beloved. And God did not just make the world for you, friends because of his love. He also refused to let his love get off track when sin came into that world. In fact, he worked his entire story of salvation for you because you are the beloved. When God kept Noah and his family safe from the waters that covered the earth, he did it for you because you are the beloved. When God called Abraham and took him to a place he did not know and told him that he would bless all the families of the earth through him, he did that for you. Do you know that? He did that because of his love for you. In fact, you were one of the stars that Abraham saw in the sky that night, all those thousands of years ago. And when God delivered Israel out of his, their bondage in Egypt, when he went to war with Pharaoh, and set his people free. He did it for you. All of it. Because you are the beloved. When God made the walls of Jericho to fall down, friend, he did that for you. And when God taught David the words of the Psalter and told them to write them in a book, he did it because he wanted you to pray those words, for you to speak them aloud. Because you are the beloved. And most importantly, when the Son of God, Jesus Christ, took on flesh to set his bride free from sin and death, when he died naked on a cross and rose again in glory on the third day, he did it for you. Because you are the beloved. And so my application this morning, friends, is simply this. 
This week, this month, this year, I invite you to abide and rest in this truth. That you are the beloved of God. In other words, your job this year, your assignment from your pastor above all things is just to be the beloved. Just be the beloved. Remember the words of Psalm 121 or 131. David says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great or too marvelous for me. Yes, I know it's simple. But do that. Start there. Just be the beloved. Just embrace that name and let it sink into your bones and your heart a little deeper or maybe possibly for the first time ever. Just be the beloved. It's enough. It's enough for any of us. Do you know how the Apostle John refers to himself throughout the gospel that that bears his name? He never calls himself John. He always says, the one whom Jesus loved. I think it's fascinating that John does that. And I don't think John is just being humble or he's trying to stay anonymous or whatever. I think he's making a profoundly theological point. John is saying that the name that he bears through his union with Jesus is deeper even than the name that his parents gave him when he was born. And that his real name is this. It's beloved. His real name is beloved. The one whom Jesus loved. Beloved is who John really is. Even now in his grave as he waits for the resurrection. Beloved is his true name, his hidden name, his real name. And it's your real name as well. Friend, your real name is not Sarah or Jeremy or Audrey or Mike or whatever it says on your birth certificate, whatever name your parents chose. No, your real name, according to God, is Beloved. And your full name, if you want to write it out, write on a sign a check or whatever, it's this, it's the one whom Jesus loves. That, it, that's what it is all the way out. So just be the beloved, friends. Be who your heavenly Father says you are. And I know some of you are thinking, that is crazy. I need to be able to do something here, right? You're just saying, just be the beloved. I need to do something. I would say, just, just, friend, just stop, just like for five seconds or a minute or a week or two. Just stop trying to do all those things. Stop trying to prove your belovedness. Just be it. It's not about you and what you've done. It's about what God has done in Christ for you. You are the beloved, full stop. And it's enough. It really is. Just be the one whom Jesus loves and see what happens next. Others of you may be thinking, be the beloved? That's crazy. Do you have any idea of my life? What I have done? The people I have let down? The heinous acts I've committed? The thoughts that I've had? How fearful and sinful and anxious I am. 
all the time, even now. And I would say to you, friend, no, of course I do not know that. I don't know all those things. But God does. He knows all of it. None of it is is exempt from his gaze. He sees all of those things. He holds all of your life in his hands. He knows you fully, every detail of every moment. And he still says, you are my beloved. So listen to him, friends. And be the beloved. And see what happens next when you embrace that name, that reality. I think part of what will happen is that you will be set free to live in new ways, to live out of the freedom and holiness and security that is only known by those who know that they are the beloved. You see, all of us are called to be like Jesus, right? We can all get behind that idea. If there's anything that is central to the Christian life all throughout the New Testament, it is that we need to be like Jesus, We need to live like him and imitate him. And here's the thing, friends. Jesus is God's beloved son. And so if we are going to be like Jesus, we're going to need to start where he starts. And that is in the love of the Father for him. We're going to need to learn what it means to be the beloved. And I don't fully know what that means for any of us. But I do know that to learn what it means to be the beloved is the great journey of our spiritual lives. That's it. That is the great journey. Learning of our belovedness in Christ. Because our belovedness in Christ Jesus is the secret that is hidden at the core of our being. It is the truth that is most deeply true about each one of us. Brother, sister, you belong to God in Christ Jesus, and he will never let you go. You are his beloved. So live in that love. Be the beloved, even the beloved of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, indeed, I ask that by your Spirit you would bless the preaching of your word, that this reality that you love us, and that you have bound your love to us through our union with Jesus Christ in such a way that it will never change, and that it is the deepest thing that is true about each one of us. Would that reality sink into our hearts, and transform our lives by your Spirit. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.